0: Kelsey Zeiser welcome to what's the story a short podcast from light reading where we take a step back from the most significant topics in telecom to tell you the latest news how we got here what it all means and what to expect next this is a special edition of what's the story where we're discussing the leading lights awards finalists today i'm talking with light readings phil harvey about the award categories that both he and i reviewed We discuss the process for judging the public and private companies of the year, as well as trends in optical networking, routing and switching, IoT use cases, network automation, and more. Hey, Phil, welcome to the What's the Story Leading Lights Awards finalist super duper edition. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
1: you, Kelsey. Happy to be here, as ever. I
0: I think um, each intro I've added in a few extra words
1: yeah yeah it'll it'll get to be like a ten minute intro uh, by the time you get done with it <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: so you had a couple cat- i think about three categories um to review for the finalists for the mm-hmm. leading lights awards um what were some of the uh you know trends or highlights that you noticed any companies that stood out uh we could start with the uh company of the year you had the private and public
1: categories mm-hmm. for yeah. Those. I um yeah and sorry I've, uh, for folks listening I've got a bit of a cold or something so I'm sounding a little rough the sickening um yeah <laughs> I I so yeah I had to do private company and public company of the year and those are difficult on the public company side because um we've kind of gone through this just ignoring the economy for a minute we've gone through a weird hype cycle with broadband stocks so there's been a um a flood of Government money that's been anticipated that was going to come in, and of course it did come in part of the uh, you know biden's uh, broadband infra infrastructure bill uh, which had a huge carve out for broadband and um, the stocks all did really well in anticipation of that hitting and then supply chain stuff and deployment details <laughs> you know are not nearly as interesting or as exciting um, And so, as that stuff starts to materialize, um, a lot of those stocks had lost in the last calendar year, you know, like 60 or 70% of their value. So, you have to kind of take a different look at how some of these companies are performing and look at their longer term prospects and sort of think about you know, what kind of year did they have last year and what did they do to set themselves up for success later? So it was a little bit different this year in that we couldn't really believe the numbers, especially things like market cap and stock movements, because they were so extreme. Um, and they were sort of, you know, they kind of peaked early, um, when there's still a great deal of, uh, infrastructure work in the middle mile and in the last mile that still has to happen there's a lot of wireless upgrades still going on as well. That favors a ton of companies in our sector. And you would never know that by looking at the stocks. Um, so we had to kind of calculate Oops. things a little bit differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that, that was one thing I noticed that was kind of uh, challenging was just having to look at companies on their core prospects in terms of um, do we think they can pull this off? Do, do they have the... Uh, the market presence, the technology, uh, the executive bench and the, um, you know, R and D smarts to continue to be a leader in the next, in the year ahead and, and do as well as they did, you know, in the, Mm -hmm. in the previous year. Um, so obviously in the, you know, I won't say much about where we landed on that, but I, I will say that the, the, um, you know, companies that were not us-based tended to fare better overall, um, in this particular, uh, you know, round of the leading lights. Um, that's on the public company side, on the private company side, that's always a crazy one because private companies are a huge mix of, uh, sizes and markets. So you're really comparing apples to oranges quite a lot and it gets to be a bit difficult. So I think sometimes the easier call on a private company is what's a company that's got, you know, um, customer commitments, really well-funded, um, a motivated and, uh, qualified executive team and prospects, you know, like what is, what does the market look like for the, uh, the addressable market look like for the thing that they're selling, and that, that clears itself up pretty quickly. You know, that, that one actually was not as difficult as, uh, as one would think when you start applying all those metrics.
0: Yeah. That's kind of interesting because especially with the private companies, you know, you're limited and in the information that you can gather from them sometimes. Uh, so that, that is pretty interesting that those ended up being maybe a little bit more straightforward, um, to yeah. judge. and, and that's it's... also, a, Yeah.
1: It comes down to the companies too, what they're willing to disclose and what, and how much they're willing to talk about their business in a kind of an open way. Mm -hmm. And so I think the ones that were able to do that, um, and kind of really be realistic about their prospects, I think those got high marks from us. The ones that were kind of more cagey and wanted to talk more about how they had just raised a round of funding and kind of put all their eggs in the basket of, we just had a big round of funding and wasn't it big and wasn't it impressive. And then you go look at the funding and it's <laughs> like, all mostly, our
0: money. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: it's like mostly debt. It's, yeah. you know, and if it came from just one investor, so that means that, that most of their executive staff stock right. got diluted. So they're not really that motivated. They're going to be looking for jobs soon. It, you know, it's like, it does have a, it can have a mixed message, um, you know, for that. It also could mean that there's, you know, that they're funded in anticipation of a, you know, a bigger, uh, carrier deal or something like that, because that does tend to happen with private companies in the telecom space. They get a big load of funding right before, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so in anticipation of supporting a major customer. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I, I think in those cases you have to kind of just make a judgment call, um, which one looks like it's more sustainable, you know, and also what was, you know, uh, what was the progress from a year ago? You know, where mm-hmm. were they a year ago? How much progress have they made? And then are you, do you believe in the current environment that they're going to continue that progress given the prospects and the numbers that they've revealed in their entry? So, yeah, yeah so it's a bunch to think about, but, uh, you know, like I said, I think, I think we I think we're happy with some, the choices we made. I think they're going to be very interesting to the market overall.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so you also did, um, <clears throat> excuse me, most innovative optical networking product. Uh, what, what were some of the big takeaways there?
1: Yeah, we, um, so routing and optical, I, I took both of those um, topics on. So there was a, there was actually two technical mm-hmm. topics there. Um, for, you know, for optical, I, I think we kind of talked about a lot of this at, at OFC this year, which was, you know, there's kind of a, a steady march toward bigger and bigger bandwidth and, um, You know, and reducing the number of components along the path that you're sending that bandwidth. So there were tons of trends that sort of, um, you know, in new products and technology innovation from the component level to the system level that all spoke to those sort of larger concerns. Um, There's quite a bit of, you know, nowadays in optical networking, there's quite a lot of use cases from the hyperscalers and the data center, um, you know, enterprise data center customers that are being, um, and, and from, you know, a, uh, AI use cases that are, um, uh, being considered as well. So it's a, it's, it's a very vibrant and interesting market. Um, there was a lot of cool technology to sort of talk about there, but I think for the most part, the trends were what we kind of talked about earlier in the year. Um, you know, pushing as much data down the pipe as they possibly can at the lowest possible cost per bit. And then in the process, you know, in the Metro, especially using pluggables to eliminate extra pieces of equipment along that, you know, chain. And then in the long haul, um, just cutting down the cost of transmission. Um, And, and companies are doing that in a number of different innovative ways. It can be at the component level it can be, you know, at the, uh, at the system level and sort of how they, um, uh, how they process, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, 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 the signals and then on the, um, on the routing side, there is kind of a, you know, that's another one where it was kind of all over the place. So there's a lot of innovation that's gone into, um, you know, I guess I bring them up together because they're very tightly coupled these two categories, because one of the most interesting things about the optical networking space right now is the routing that's happening, um, you know, in the um, new class of routers that are uh, built to handle pluggables and to handle massive uh, uh, amounts of bandwidth in the metro area network. And um and so that those, those companies were stars in this particular, uh, you know, round of the leading lights because that's a new area it's emerging and it's, uh, getting a lot of attention and deployment, uh, uh, uh <clears throat> interest from, uh, service providers. And, um, the other thing about routing is, you know, s- some persistent trends were there from the, from years past, which is, you know, uh, there's a ton of attention given to, uh, improvements in disaggregated networks so being able to break apart all the functions of let's say a gigantic monolithic core router into um, you know smaller pieces or singular functions and be able to have those um, deployed and 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 moved around in know in a much more um, agile way in the network um, so we saw the typical, uh, you know, and that that's not just in the core network. That's also happening in the, in the broadband, uh, gateway, uh, area as well. So, so disaggregated routing, um, disaggregated networks was a big trend. I, again, software, uh, is a huge player there. So any kind of, um, software improvements that were made in, uh, Um, you know, either how these networks are deployed or especially how they're managed and how, um, you know, kind of fault-tolerant they are, how carrier-grade they are. Um, Those were, uh, and then what kind of services they can offer instead of, you know, on top of that pure um, uh, routing-based connectivity. Um, I've written about this before, but I mean, I do think that a lot of these companies like Arcus and uh, DriveNet's um rt brick and companies like that are becoming more um i guess uh less i mean you could call them routing companies but they're really a different kind of infrastructure company um they're going to be able to not only provide the core um sort of service layer for traffic to go over carrier networks and for carriers to manage that traffic but i think they're also going to be able to layer in additional network services on top of that using their uh you know their software and they're going to be kind of like these um you know i don't know network operating systems almost um to to kind of control and and do interesting uh things with uh with the traffic and the the, uh, the amount of, um, uh, I guess, information that they can pull from the network using this new, uh, you know, newer code, newer methods and, um, uh, you know, getting away from the old, uh, everything's trapped in a box, uh, you know, and, and you have to be part of a specific, um, you know, vendors, uh, portfolio in order to, to read that box. Um, so, so there's some pretty exciting stuff happening there and mm-hmm. like, these, these companies that we're we're calling routing companies now or sort of software based routing companies I think they're they're definitely evolving into a uh, uh companies that do a lot more uh for enterprises and for service providers than just core um and I, and I don't mean core in the network sense but just basic routing functions and network functions i think I think they're gonna be be able to do uh, quite a bit more
0: mm-hmm did they um, discuss at all just uh, making things more uh, energy efficient, um, sustainability focused in, in any of their new developments?
1: Yeah, and that, that came up, oddly enough, in the optical side more than mm-hmm. the routing side. In the optical networking side, there was a um, a very interesting entry on um, uh, that, that touted liquid cooling uh, as part of long-haul optical networking uh, transmission. And um the company that that did this uh, 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 Fujitsu network communications not only you know showed very clearly you know what the benefits were in their particular technology, but they talked about how they had implemented it and how they had put it to it through its paces in terms of uh, working on different uh, various uh, Japanese supercomputer projects wow. so. <laughs> in in those cases, they were able to you know not just cut down the cost of transmission, but they they were they were doing it indirectly. They were they were cutting down the cost of you know the the energy cost of running the system, and by way of cutting down that cost, then they were able to lower the cost per bit you know <laughs> that they were putting through the system. So, mm-hmm. um, liquid cooling is a pretty new technology. Um, you know, in this particular. Um, application. Um, but definitely one that I can see, um, spreading and getting more popular as companies are sort of looking for ways to, um, you know, because the, the systems themselves, miniaturization has, um, you know, they, they, they're about as, I I say this every year, but they get smaller, (laughs) about as small as you could possibly get them, you know, to a degree. Um, and I think that, that coming up with, more interesting ways of keeping the temperature down as they're running through these, you know, massive amounts of bandwidth. Uh, they're transmitting this massive amounts of bandwidth is, um, it's, it's really critical and it's really critical to do that without incurring el- extra cost of fan, right. electrical current, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. A lot to unpack in those <laughs> for sure. Um, well, I'd, I'd love to talk about, some of my categories as well i know i've been quizzing everyone else
1: flip it around and get and uh, make sure that you're appropriately quizzed on on what you were um uh covering as well so i know the first one or the first one i wanted to find out about because this is kind of a, a a uh a category that doesn't apply to specific technologies but we have one called light reading mvps um uh what what did you find out when you were uh when you were looking through, uh, the entries in that category and, and then, um, see if there's another one that's, uh, maybe not so tech heavy. Um, <laughs> actually the, 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 next three that you had were all kind of tech heavy. So let's talk about MVPs first.
0: Yeah. And that was actually one that I talked with, um, Teresa bit because she, uh, judged that one as well. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, but we both agreed that, uh, I, I feel like some of the big takeaways from that one was. One, we need to, you know, we feel like we should be doing more as people, (laughs) just you know, like be more ambitious because the the things that these folks have accomplished is really impressive. Uh, Mm. I think one person had maybe fifty patents. A lot of them are co-founders of multiple companies, uh, startups, and you know, getting quite a bit of funding to get going. Um, And you know, with some of those patents, some folks have developed technologies that have really Made a massive difference uh, to the rest of the industry, and was also impressed by those that uh, participated in volunteering for their community, uh, and also, um, you know, being on boards uh, for related um, industries and and working towards uh, advancing um, public policy, working with you know the federal government um, on you know, broadband funding, things like that. So very cool. impressive group of people. I don't know how they have enough time in the day <laughs> to yeah, accomplish right. all know. of that. So
1: I know. Um, yeah, hopefully, and, 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 yeah, I do, I do look forward to seeing more, uh, or sort of the results of that because I think the, the um, you know, the, 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 there are obviously a lot of people motivated in the space to do, you know, um, uh, make more money at all costs and that sort of thing. And this award was really to call out folks who were doing something beyond that, you know, not just, not just pushing things ahead of their company, but also their community, their culture, and trying to just, you know, generally use their power for good. Um, so yeah, we'll be excited to see, uh, who the, who the winners, what winners emerge in that category. Um, how did you find the customer experience category? Because that was a use case category where we were sort of asking for companies to say, you know, give us, uh, and it's pretty wide open, you know, give us a superior, um, give us an example of a superior experience that you've delivered to a business consumer or government customers by way of using your network or communications technology.
0: Yeah, I think the ones there that stood out more were where they almost told a story of uh, working with, uh, a lot of times it was a BSS deployment, which was kind of interesting. And some were in, you know, greenfield environments. Um, Safaricom launched a BSS um, system in a new Ethiopian market. And so they would tell these stories about how, um, you know, there, there weren't any good systems in place and they came in and really uh, helped to reduce manual processes uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, have a better system for rating how they were working uh, with their customers and, and making, um, you know, payment systems a lot simpler. Um, There were also some BSS systems where they had to handle geopolitical issues, the, uh, you know, Deployed during the Russian-Ukrainian conflict and then also address, like, how do we provide our customers with discounts while also giving them uh, a quality customer experience? Uh, So that was, um, they definitely faced a lot of challenges also with government regulations. Um, So those were really interesting. And again, I did like the establishing a problem or situation and then kind of walking the um, organic uh, description of of how things uh, developed once they had applied that new BSS system. So those were the ones that did better. Um, there were others that were just like, "Yeah, our customers love us." Think that's yeah. not <laughs> give me <laughs> something just... to go on, some kind of quantitative um, information of of how you actually made an improvement instead of just a generic like, "Yeah, we we get along with them really well, and we have chatbots, and you know they can submit a ticket." that, that kind of thing wasn't that helpful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think the, the thing we had mentioned earlier was, was a few months ago was about these use cases is that, you know, it really, these really are a chance for you to kind of set them up and knock them down, you know, in terms of, like you said, describe a problem and then show how you in detail, how you solve that problem. Um, uh, and, and sometimes people just would take that and basically make it a product pitch, which doesn't really answer the question, you know, (laughs) and it doesn't really serve the needs of, you know, the audience Um, because at their best, these use cases give the industry some um, better ideas for, you know, how to apply technology, but also real life examples they can go and look up and get more information about and maybe it applies to some of their customers or some of their, uh, you know, or, or, or the companies themselves. In, in, the case of some enterprises. Um, did you find something similar with IOT? Because I, th- I think a lot of the IOT companies are very tech centric and sometimes you ask them for, um, a use case and they end up talking about speeds and feeds or <laughs> radios and stuff. <laughs> yeah. how, how, how did that category, uh, turn out?
0: Yeah, that one was, uh, some were definitely more interesting than others. I, I really enjoyed the, um, machine queue, submission they talked about deploying temperature sensors for starbucks and you know on the surface maybe that doesn't sound super exciting but they explained how um that reduced uh, manual processes you know you don't have employees having to go in and check um everything in the refrigerator as thoroughly you can just rely on these devices uh to do that and then you know, the baristas can do what's really important, which is making my order delicious. Pushing <laughs>
1: buttons and writing yes, on cups. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, and then, you know, a lot of them were about how to improve IoT device performance. Um, there were some about uh, connected vehicles. Uh, Keyside also had one about a battery emulator, which um, mm. was, was kind of interesting because... You know the the battery. I feel like is core to probably a lot of IoT devices, and being able to achieve peak battery performance is really important. So, being able to test those different loads,
1: yeah, um, and be able to get get some idea of when the failure is going to happen, and, mm-hmm. and get you know, and uh, especially with IoT devices where you you sometimes need a little bit of uh, a head start to track them down and. <laughs> you know, replace them, uh, so they keep, keep working and stay connected to the network. Um, okay. Last one was network and service automation. I know that was a particularly huge category. We might have to split that one next year. Um, uh, were there any quick sort of, uh, uh, learnings from that or any big, big overarching trends?
0: Yeah, I think the overarching trends there were, um, just managing, network performance, and again, reducing manual processes, um, automating ticketing systems. Um, and then there were some interesting ones about, uh, you know, TransUnion was talking about automating the ordering process between service providers. And um, Vodafone, Zigo, and Amdocs worked together on a, a network as a service platform, um, which, also reduce the time to fulfill orders and address multi-vendor integration. Um, so yeah, I think a, a lot of that was, um, you know, automating some of those, um, manual operations to open up time for, um, you know, what service providers might be more interested in focusing on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also it just, I mean, as we've sort of tracked with layoffs and things like that, it just, it cuts down on, the amount of employees that these companies need to function and mm-hmm. you know that's that's kind of a um an open secret in our in, in the in the telecom sector is that these companies are getting smaller faster um and part of the reason is is network and service automation and but also you know the automation does have a a secondary role to play which is you know enabling the same size company to do even more so you know we could look at it both ways but for the temporarily for the next few years things are just going to get smaller and smaller you know and and jobs will go away but hopefully in the in in, in the as, as the uh trend becomes you know continually persistent um companies will find more innovative ways to offer a wider array of services a lot more choice and you know and increase their revenue by Um, by not having to scale their operations nearly as much as they would have if these things weren't automated. So yeah, it's a fascinating category though too, because it does cut across, you know, the network side, the enterprise side, and then kind of, like you said, even down to things like, you know, ordering and ticketing and kind of these Mm -hmm. things that get kind of lost in the, in the business process of, of uh, networks being repaired and run and stuff getting done. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So definitely a lot of interesting um, categories that I had to review this year and a lot of submissions.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a huge category
0: for sure. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for going over your categories with me, Phil, and giving me an opportunity to chat about mine. Sure thing. Hey, Teresa, welcome to What's the Story? The Leading Lights Awards Finalist Edition. Hi, Kelsey to see you. You too. Um, So tell us a little bit about the categories that you judged and what were some of the trends or or highlights that stood out to you from those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I had two categories to judge this year. The first one was the light reading MVPs, which goes to kind of individuals within the communications industry who made um, an impact within their organization. It can be, you know, kind of any level of of the company organization, any type of accomplishment, is just kind of, yeah, just to kind of celebrate people who made an impact basically. And I think one thing that I was really struck by in this category is the kind of how broad the range of profiles was among among the finalists. So you had people who had a bit more of an kind of R&D background, people who were founders or co-founders of their companies, um, for example, we had Lloyd Nguyen, who's at Marvell currently, who previously co-founded Infi, and who has a very kind of, very much like an R and D background. And then, um, yeah, and a few other people who are kind of founded their own companies, and who are kind of from that area of the of the industry. But you also had sort of, um, you you also have uh, individuals who. Um, have very different roles within the industry. For example, Jack Rayner, who's a co-chair of Open Wi-Fi Project Group at the at the Telecom Infra Project Tip, and so I think it just kind of makes it a really interesting category because um, yeah, you, you don't just kind of have one type of role or one type of a background, but you have loads of people from very different parts of the industry um, with very different accomplishments. So I think. Um, that makes it a very interesting category. Um, yeah, a bit I had, difficult um, to touch.
0: <laughs> yes, very difficult. I actually had that category too, um, okay. and it it I think you summed it up well. It was a really um, broad um, group of people, but like you said, a lot had uh, co-founded multiple companies. Um, some had loads of patents, fifty patents <laughs> you know, for technology, or had played a really critical role in. Um, kind of driving uh, the industry in a certain direction. Um, so, it definitely made me feel like I needed to, I don't know, volunteer more in my community or something. <laughs> you know, they're super impressive. Um, and yeah, a, lo- a lot of them did do that as well. They were um, either on, you know, um, different boards across the industry or they were volunteering in their community in some kind of meaningful way or working on, um, you know, pushing forward federal policy to support some of these new technologies so definitely a really impressive group of people and a very difficult category I think to judge.
2: (laughs) Absolutely you also had people who kind of took their time to mentor others um, and to yeah just kind of as you said yeah you summed up really well just to kind of um, yeah volunteer in their communities and it was just yeah, very as you said, very impressive bunch. Um Yeah,
0: I don't know like what special coffee they're drinking to accomplish all this, but <laughs> Love <laughs> Y'all some. Let me know. <laughs> okay, <helpful. laughs> uh, all right. So, uh yeah. which other category did you uh review?
2: Yes. So, the other one was the digital equity All-Stars category, which is another like really impressive category I thought because it kind of as the name suggests, it just goes to, um, it, it kind of you know the the entries are from companies that have somehow worked to um, expand access to connectivity to the internet, um, especially in kind of maybe communities that are remote or disadvantaged or for some reason kind of more difficult to connect. So that was a very interesting category to judge. I think a lot of the finalists were companies that were working to improve internet access, um, especially in the US in kind of rural or um, yeah maybe disadvantaged communities. So, And you had like a very broad range of technologies or ways of approaching that. So you had um, Terranor Wireless, for example, which does this through fixed wireless access technology. Um, but you also had um, Render Network, who's deploying fiber in rural communities and several other companies that kind of work within that area. Um, I think the one kind of company that stood out in terms of do- doing something very different from that is UCLA, which provides um, kind of software and data through licensing partnerships to organizations or individuals that um, kind of somehow are working to improve internet accessibility Um, and it's kind of just works in really broad ways like for example they partnered with the World Bank to use their data to um, kind of examine digital infrastructure in Latin America so yeah there's kind of one company that kind of took a, or you know one entry which um, was very different from the others Um, so yeah that's kind of why I it would be good to highlight, but otherwise, a lot of lot of great work on improving internet access in communities.
0: Yeah, very cool. Um, I think that's a really uh, interesting category to review because uh, it's just really encouraging to see what some of these companies are doing to um, bring, you know, fiber and and better internet access to some of these underserved communities. I think uh, the pandemic really highlighted the need for that. Uh, that uh, you know, good internet access and broadband is critical for our day-to-day lives now, uh, you know, with so many, um, students, uh, learning from home for so long and then, you know, people are continuing to work from home. So it's, it's just really highlighted that. So that sounds like a really, um, enjoyable category to review.
2: Yeah, yeah, and make sure you kind of realise just, you know, what is really good about the telecommunications industry where, you know, it kind of, it can make such a big impact on people's lives, as you said, to kind of, if you have good connectivity, it kind of really improves your range of options in life and it's such a, it's just such an important thing to have. And I think, like, especially, you know, kind of, we often like, or at least me, I take it for granted and it's kind of um, important to bear in mind that there are people who maybe don't, have um, good internet access available Mm -hmm. to them. Yeah.
0: And even with access, there's the conversations around affordability and, uh, you know, it's it's a very complex (laughs) issue to address. Uh, Well, Teresa, thanks so much for going over these with us. Uh, This has been really interesting and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Kelsey. It was great to speak with you. Thank you so much, Phil, for taking the time to talk today. And thank you to our wonderful producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more interviews and insights from the team. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.